0: What's up beardos? You're listening to episode 141 of the Bearded Vegans.
1: Basically our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't be Let me be. answer your question first by
0: not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune
1: in to hear us talk about beards,
0: beard beard beards what you think about beards? Welcome to the show! I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Andy.
0: And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan.
1: If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com.
0: In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, go over the news, and then move into the main discussion, Reflections on a Visit to a Wild Animal Sanctuary.
1: We're really, uh, to use a non-vegan term, milking your Denver trip for a lot of content, <laughs> Paul.
0: <laughs> We're almond milking it.
1: We're almond milking it. Yeah. No, I'm excited to hear about this because I know you had thoughts, but in an effort to keep things fresh, fresh conversation, you usually don't discuss these things with me beforehand. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well, really curious to hear what your thoughts are.
0: I got I got thoughts and feelings, Andy.
1: I love your thoughts and feelings, Paul. <laughs> uh, bef- before we do any of that, just a couple of quick announcements. In a couple of weeks, I, Andy, will be speaking at the Colorado VegFest, and the VegFest itself is July 28th and 29th, a Saturday and a Sunday. I'll be there both days with my clothing line, Compassion Company, a few people asked about that, but on Sunday, July 29th at 2.20 p.m., I'll be speaking on a panel with J.L. Fields and Ginny Messina about how food and body shaming harms the vegan movement and the vegans within it, so uh, really nice. looking forward to that, and again, hope, hope hopefully we'll post some level quality of recording of that in either a <laughs> bonus episode or something at some point. And speaking of bonus episodes, Paul, we made good on our promise that we made in the last mailbag episode. Someone asked us if we were going to review Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and we did that, and that is actually July's bonus episode that's available in the Patreon to anyone that pledges just a a dollar a month or more, and I thought we had a pretty fun discussion about that film.
0: Yeah. Not, not even halfway through the month and we already got the bonus episode up. We're doing good.
1: We're on top of the world. Uh, <laughs> fun discussion because Paul had fun and I thought it was a hot pile of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but so obviously if,
0: we also talk about all the, the animal issues or lack thereof related to this movie as well.
1: Yeah, Paul and I both have different opinions on that as well. So it always makes for a fun discussion. Yeah, there was a a PETA article going around talking about the the animal rights themes of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So we kind of went through that list as well and talked about whether we thought they were prominent themes or not. So yeah, fun discussion and you can get to that just by going to com slash Beardo following the Patreon link there. And also if you go to that link, just a quick reminder, we did a little bonus food episode where Paul mm-hmm. and I talked all about, uh, Paul talked about your delicious, your delicious eats in Denver. I talked about <laughs> some delicious eats in Chicago and that one's on the Patreon, but it is is a free episode. So whether you are pledging to us or not, you can listen to that for free. Uh, we just put it there because we didn't want it in the regular feed, because I think if that was someone's first listen to us, they would wonder what the hell anyone, why anyone likes the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're into the food talk and you'd like to hear approximately 36 minutes of it, uh, head over to uh, the Patreon via thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo.
0: Yeah. Also, we had, <laughs> we had our live episode in Atlantic City last week, so that'll hopefully get released, assuming that all went well but yeah, you know
1: not, we have not recorded it yet so uh <laughs> assuming it didn't go catastrophically wrong we're gonna release that in our plan is to release it not next episode but the episode after that so definitely look forward to that
0: yeah that was that was great when when RZA came out and joined us on stage and he told us how how great of fans he was of us it was yeah, a great time
1: he, he offered to make us our uh, a new original introduction song the yeah new theme song. <laughs> It was pretty nice. Nice guy, Rizzo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, Andy. So what food have you been eating?
1: Well, the one thing that I didn't mention in the bonus episode, because I just wanted to heap praise upon it in a regular episode, is that in Chicago, I also went to this... Relatively new place, I think, as of about a year, called Nature Yoga Sanctuary, and it is a yoga studio, but it is also a vegan cafe. And this is by the folks who run Upton's Naturals, uh, Nicole specifically. And so the fair is a little bit different than what you'd find at the the Upton's Breakroom Cafe, and it was it was a nice thing to to go to after doing Vegandale because. All I was doing was eating like fried tofu donut sandwiches and deep dish pizza all day long the day before. So, going to, to Nature Yoga Sanctuary, I was able to get this nature bowl that had all sorts of delicious fresh veggies and some, some brown rice and some pickled beets. And I don't know, it was just, it was very delightful. It was very delicious. It's exactly what the doctor ordered. Uh, but then, of course, I was told I had to follow it up by eating a waffle, which came with peach cobbler ice cream on top. Ooh. Yeah, and the ice cream was good. It also came with soy whip, so, like, a nice, thick soy whipped cream, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. But the star of this dish truly was the waffle. I crap you not, Paul. (laughs) I think that this is one of the best waffles that I've ever actually had in my life. Dang! It was so good. They use pumpkin for the egg replacer but they don't use pumpkin spices so it's not like a cinnamon nutmeg kind of waffle but yeah. what it does is it gives it this like delightful kind of light orange color so it doesn't look really pale and it was a little crispy on the outside and and very creamy on the inside like like in a good way like not in a oh this is undercooked but th- <laughs> like this is intentional and this is really delightful and not quite like a bread pudding kind of creamy but like it was just like melting your mouth delicious the flavors were perfect and i i don't know i really feel like it's not in chicago proper it's like just outside one of the suburbs uh, but it is i think definitely worth a visit if you're you're in the area just to get that waffle so tell tell them andy sent you
0: <laughs> maybe when we're in chicago together andy
1: yeah, that would be awesome. I wonder I wonder if they're going to have a booth at Chicago Vegan Mania. Maybe they'll just be serving up waffles. They were at Vegandale, and they were doing, like, waffle ice cream Sunday things there. So you never know. Never know. Yeah. And so recently, uh, the last event that I did was Vegetarian Summerfest uh, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to the Beardos that came by to say hello. Uh, more specifically, they said, what's up, Beardo? Or what's the thing I have to say to get a button? (laughs) Uh, So thank you to Kathy, Trevor, Kylie, and Justine for coming out. And also an extra special shout out to uh, Jennifer, who is someone that has sent us all these amazing long emails. And we had met in person a long time ago, apparently, but Jennifer was my food savior and was like sneaking food out of the cafeteria to give to me. And uh, it was such a delight and awesome just to sort of chat with Jennifer. So uh, thank you for that. And also, actually, something that's really cool, Paul, is this event has been going on in some form or another for 44 years. Woo! Yeah, it's a really long time. And they announced at the closing plenary this year that they are officially changing their name to Vegan Summerfest
0: that's cool was it announced in like a really epic way like did they did they like drop a banner and confetti came down and everyone (laughs) went wild
1: you know i was not actually there to witness the announcement i just heard people talking about it afterwards but i'm i'm sure that's exactly what happened
0: okay that's good yeah
1: (laughs) paul the one last food thing yeah
0: tell me about this last one andy
1: I, I backed something on Kickstarter, and it showed up at, at my parents' door, because I, I use their house as my mailing address when I'm on the road. And uh, I posted a picture of it, and the internet seems really upset with me, <laughs> for, for one, for purchasing, and two, for providing the money for this thing to be willed into existence. <laughs> and that is something called the Ketchup Slice by Bo's Original. It's a slice of ketchup, Paul. Mm -hmm. i have not opened it yet i do plan to do a live video of me trying it on its own and then also in a burger Mm -hmm. i can only imagine that it's basically a ketchup fruit roll-up
0: oh my god
1: (laughs) and um i too am disgusted at the concept of this but as a thorough (laughs) advocate of ketchup and just a true dedicated ketchup lover i have (laughs) to try it paul
0: I feel like you should bring some to Atlantic City and we could get some a nice raw block of tofu, put a nice ketchup slice on it, and go to I town. I want
1: to throw it into our crowd and have it like stick on someone's <laughs> face. <laughs>
0: That could be, we'll have like a special giveaway and the the winner will just win one slice of ketchup.
1: It just starts burning their skin. They're like, oh God, <laughs> it burns.
0: What is this? Okay.
1: So I'm excited to try that. I think everyone should go look at our Instagram and see the pictures of this packaging and express your disgust or or approval. One person on all across all social media platforms that I posted it on, including my personal one, gave it a heart react and said, this seems really practical as someone that brings sandwiches to work, but I don't want sauces to get my bread soggy. This makes sense.
0: That person's thinking pragmatically.
1: Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's the old ketchup slice by Bose original. I will uh, keep people informed uh, on the, the taste of it. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, my biggest problem is that I feel like it's not going to equal the amount of ketchup I'd normally like to put on a burger. Just slap on another slice. That's true. That's true. So all right. Good thinking, Paul.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So any I don't really have anything to report that I've been eating, except I had a delicious home baked chocolate chip cookie that I will say. Not accessible to anyone else,
1: but very good. <laughs> did you home bake it yourself?
0: I did not. It was actually this family friend. Just imagine like a Lewis Black type character, but less angry but still just as grumpy, who is now retired and has just really taken into baking and owns an industrial kitchen in his house and just loves baking and i was visiting so he was like you know what i'm gonna try making chocolate chip cookies vegan chocolate chip cookies the first batch of vegan cookies he's ever made it was probably the best vegan cookie i've ever had in my life
1: wow it was delicious strong praise and now no one else can ever have it
0: nope (laughs) (laughs) so anyways andy We got a little bit of follow-up?
1: Yeah, I think we actually have a lot of bit of follow-up. And so the Animal Rights Conference happened uh, two weeks, two weekends ago, as of the time that we're currently recording this. And we've had a lot of discussions on the Animal Rights Conference. We've had a lot of discussions, or at least a little bit of discussion about Alex Hershaft, who's the head of farm that puts on the conference and is like the sole conference chair, or at least was until about a few months ago. And so I just wanted to provide a little bit of follow-up on that. And, you know, I've been a vendor for most years, the past five years or so. And I personally decided to opt out of it this year because uh, at the time, Alex was still the head and I just didn't think in good conscience I could continue to be a vendor. People might recall, if you're looking for a lot of details, you can go listen to the episode that we did with uh, Vegan Warrior Princesses attack that was all about me Too and Time's Up AR and all that. And we talk a little bit about this, but you know, essentially Hershaft was expressing uh, publicly a lot of support for Wayne Pacelli, who was outed as an abuser at um, HSUS. And it was just like not a good climate, and I felt like it would be a good year for me to sit it out. And then I made that decision, and then I booked... Vegan Dale Chicago and then in this like three week period when I made that decision right after Alex stepped down and Don and Jen took over and Jen has been like the real person behind everything at the conference for a while now anyway. But was greatly hindered by by her shaft, unfortunately. So all of a sudden, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. Did I make the wrong decision? Like, should I? I, I it'd be great to support these women, and I'm sure that they're going to do the best they can with the two months they have to kind of change things and adjust things. And I'm I'm sure a lot of things were sort of already in motion and impossible for them to stop. But I was just really curious, and I think we said on the podcast that we were both hope uh, like that we were both. Cautiously optimistic about the future of this conference with the new leadership mm-hmm. and so so i didn 't neither of us personally attended this year, but I did spend some time asking people that did attend to get their feedback on what they thought you know if it was an improvement, if there was a tangible difference, if there was just sort of a cosmetic difference, and across the board, everyone i 've talked to, and I talked to a variety of people, some that were incredibly critical of the conference before and some that just always loved the conference and across the board, everyone said that they thought the conference was either somewhat or significantly better this year. And I talked to one event organizer recently who said they they felt like it was sort of signaling a new era for the conference and that, you know, again, they only had two months really to make any big changes. So I'm really hopeful to see what they do with a full year of organizing assuming they they stick with it yeah but i don't know paul i i feel heartened to hear people that have been so critical uh, in the past say that they feel like they would feel comfortable returning to the conference and that some actual changes had happened
0: that's awesome andy i i feel like i was gonna say i feel like you're that character from Game of Thrones, Varys, that has all his little, all his little birds that <laughs> provide him all the
1: information. <laughs> Is that little finger?
0: No, 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 no. The the bald guy.
1: Oh, bald guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bald guy. There's too many people on that show.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so some of the things that uh, I do know that happened publicly, at, you know, a lot of the plenary session features some amazing speakers. At the the banquet dinner that they have on the sort of the the final night, that big f- Saturday night every year, they have a Hall of Fame inductee, and this year the inductee was Lauren Ornellis, Woo! who we haven't actually announced it on the podcast, but we've announced it in our social media is going to be our special guest at the, uh, was our special guest (laughs) at the Atlantic city (laughs) vegan food fest live podcast. So I, I, you know, congrats to her. Apparently she is the first woman of color to be inducted into the animal rights hall of fame.
0: It's about time,
1: which which is kind of like, it's, I I guess it's not surprising, but it is just a little mind blowing that she is the first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I mean, it's like, cool i'm glad that that is starting to get course corrected but like wow i can't believe it took so long mm-hmm. and then also brenda sanders who is just uh, someone i would love to be on the show at some point is just truly amazing activist uh received a grassroots activist award so that's awesome and the th- i was asking everyone what was the highlight what was the the best speech or whatever and I would say 90% of the people said that this talk from AFCO was like the amazing highlight of the whole conference and was really challenging and enlightening and uh, hopefully the recording of that surfaces at some point. So yeah, I just wanted to give a little bit of update and feedback because I know a few people had asked us and uh, about what we thought and if we were going to attend and uh, just wanted to let you know, this is what we've been hearing. Uh, I'm sure the conference was not without issue and, you know, like what is, and I do know that Callie and Nicole over at the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast, they, the episode they just released, I haven't had a chance to listen yet, but, uh, they're talking all about their experience because they're both there. So I'd recommend people go check that out to get some firsthand accounts of what was going on because I'm sure, I'm sure they've got the dirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> so definitely go check that out. Uh, And the one other thing that I did want to talk about from this conference, Paul, which is something that also relates to a topic we've been talking about several times uh, over the last few months, is that there was a screening of the film Dominion Mm -hmm. for anyone that doesn't know what that is. This is basically being hailed as the Australian version of earthlings and has much better production value and uh, updated footage, of course. And I think it started when we reviewed the trailer and I personally really liked the trailer. I found it to be like an inspiring trailer. It had that, that great, great song. Like Coldplay esque song, the Coldplay knockoff song. And I don't even like Coldplay, (laughs) but this song really did it for me. And then, and then the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't think this is really a film that I need to personally see. And we've talked about our feelings on that on the show. And everything with Dominion had been relegated to Australia up until pretty recently, and the film had its United States premiere at the Animal Rights Conference. And so, uh, leading up to that, Paul, we had received uh, a few messages, both to the Beard Vegans stuff and also just me personally, from people kind of detailing the climate around Dominion in Australia, and that it was... A lot of people were feeling very pressured to see the film and that it was sort of painted as like, you're not a good activist, you're not a good vegan if you don't see this film. You have to see this film. You have to buy merch to support this film. And I found that really troubling. And I'm sure you're also <laughs> troubled by that as well. And so so I personally, just on my personal page there on Facebook, made a post essentially saying that I feel like people need to give themselves permission to opt out of seeing this film, and that you know, with it coming to the U.S., which is you know where obviously most of my my friends are based and acquaintances and activist connections and whatnot, that people need to feel okay not seeing this film. And I was basically saying, see this film if you feel compelled, but don't see this film because you feel like you have to as a part of your veganism as or as a part of your activism, and that for me personally, being exposed to extended lengths of footage of this kind. And it's a two hour long film. I'm sure the vast majority from what we've heard is this pretty horrendous, you know, footage of, of the cruelty that happens to animals. And for me personally, it shuts me down. It makes me angry. It makes me misanthropic. It makes me not like the people that I'm trying to advocate to. And I don't think that that is a good place for us to be in as advocates. So for some people, it might be inspiring. And I'm sure for many it has already inspired them, but uh, I basically want to offer a dissenting opinion to that view that you must see this film and that it's our duty as vegans to see this film. And I found that this post resonated with a lot of people. I think a lot of people were, were... I'm sure I was not the first person to say it, but at least on my Facebook wall, a lot of people were kind of saying that they'd been waiting for someone to kind of say this and express this opinion and I also got a lot of people that were confused by what I was trying to say, which, you know, a lot of people sort of defending the film and defending the usefulness of graphic animal footage. And I guess I want to say, like, I am i do not deny that this film could have the potential to have a lot of impact on people. I... I you know, Paul, we've had our discussion pretty early on in the podcast is about like the usefulness of graphic imagery. like do we need graphic imagery in order to advocate? And I think we we both feel kind of on the fence about that, but I mean, I guess I feel like ultimately, given the state of emergency that animals are in. I guess I I feel like it is everyone, if anyone is going to support those industries and exploit animals and, and have a view that animals are mere property, I, I kind of feel that people should see that footage. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but, but like, as far as anyone that's not vegan already, like I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I guess I just feel really conflicted because I do understand that it's traumatic to see, but also, if someone is a willing participant in that system, should they be spared that sight?
0: No i I agree with I agree with everything you said so far. Eddie. Like i I'm still on the fence about graphic footage. I will 100% admit that watching i I, th- I want to say I watched Earthlings after I was already vegan, but it, it was it had a profound impact on me. I think in a constructive way even though it's it's terribly difficult to watch like I think it had a constructive impact on me in terms of my identity as a vegan and and how I wanted to pursue advocacy and how I could help make the world more vegan and stuff like that so it's like I definitely I had, I, I can acknowledge how much of a how, how it did have a good impact on me and I think I can also understand like some of the backlash that you were getting, Andy. I think s- most of it was people not super understanding the point you were trying to make, which was not, it was not, this movie shouldn't exist. It was that, like, hey, vegans, like you don't need to watch this movie if you don't want to because you know you're already doing the thing that will hopefully be the result of people watching this movie. But... I I will say, Andy, I think I can empathize a little bit if the person, uh, someone who was criticizing you about that post is trying to say like, this is not, like your post, obviously, I think, Andy, your Facebook friends, there, there are probably more vegans in your Facebook friends than someone that's not vegan, obviously, but it's not, it wasn't like a vegan Facebook group. So someone I think could make the argument by you posting this A non-vegan is gonna see that and even though this is not the point you were trying to make a non-vegan could grasp onto like oh this is someone saying this is a vegan someone that's in this that's entrenched in this saying like you don't need to watch this movie if you don't want to even though andy you are a wordsmith you are great (laughs) at getting your points across but again i think that if there's cognitive dissonance going on, like your brain is going to grasp onto anything it can to try to make some like to to find some rational argument against why you're feeling this cognitive dissonance. So I think someone could see that and be like, "Oh, this is a vegan telling me I don't need to watch this movie, so now I'm not going to watch this movie anymore." So if that was what a person was criticizing your Facebook post about, I think it might be, it could be warranted because uh, and this is the last thing i'll say this is the last thing i'll say <laughs> because even though i am i'm glad and i think it is very important that there is this push there's a push back in the vegan movement to be like hey we don't need to watch this movie if we're vegan already like and it's going to be damaging us we don't need to watch this movie i think that that's important and crucial but i think the argument from the other side is people are saying like if this could be if this could have this profound impact on the general community like we should be pushing this as much as possible and and by you taking the time and putting in energy to go not not against the movie but against like watching the movie you're diminishing the impact the number of people that could possibly watch this i think that that could be an argument that's made.
1: Dominionishing. (laughs) Paul, can I let you in on a little secret? Yes. Let, let me in on it. Whenever I add someone to my Facebook friends, if they are vegan, I add them to a vegan like tag. Like you can make groups, like you can make a group where you post it and it only goes to the member of your family or the members of your band. So i i i would advise any vegan to do this, um, especially if you have like a large. If you're someone like me that has a lot of vegan friends and followers, and we're you know you and I are in somewhat of a public position, right? So we get random listeners of the show adding us, or people are just like, "This guy's vegan. I'm going to add him." Any if you're especially in that position, I have a separate Facebook. Thing. So I can say, I only want the vegans to see this post. Mm-hmm. And so I will still post delicious vegan food, all that to the non-vegans and the occasional advocacy article. But posts like this and this post specifically, I made it so only vegans could see that post. <sighs>
0: Cut damn it, Andy! Always one step ahead of me
1: <laughs> now, now, with that said, a lot of people did or at least a handful of people asked if they could share it and because it was a you know a limited number of people that could see it, I did screenshot it and I posted it to the beard vegans. I was like, if you wanna reshare it, share it from here. So the criticism stands from that point, mm-hmm. but I think that from my my personal side of things. It was only a message to vegans and I didn't want it to be a message that non-vegans would see and misconstrues me saying that you shouldn't see this footage or that you deserve to spare yourself the sight of the thing that you are literally funding to happen every day. So I I think that's a Facebook strategy that I would recommend to everyone. And that's the place, you know, in the, the vegan only thing is something where that's where I'll post internal criticisms of the vegan movement, because I don't want anyone to take that as a excuse to not go vegan. But I do think that it's like important to discuss these internal issues within veganism. I think that that's, this is not the case, but I feel like that's kind of, at least for me, that's what I feel like our podcast is. Like I always feel like it's, we're vegan vegans talking to other vegans about these issues. Now of course we know there are plenty of people that listen that aren't vegan or have gone vegan because of it. And and I've had people tell me that they really appreciate the fact that listening to this podcast gives them an insight into the the thinking of the ethical vegan and and how we at least you and I break down certain issues and mm-hmm. you know all of that stuff. So I, I think that is also valuable, but Yeah, I think it's really important for us to be wary of who our audience is when we're saying certain things.
0: Andy, I (laughs) I tried to throw it at you and you threw it right back at me.
1: I don't know if you saw the smug smile on my face (laughs) the entire time you were bringing that point up, but I was feeling real smug.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, I'm going to move this on because I'm ashamed of myself, but (laughs) what was this next little piece? Because I think this is also... Uh, Very interesting about Dominion.
1: Yeah, this this is fascinating. So I had not heard about this at any other screening of the film. I have not heard about this particular thing being provided for those that are putting on their own small screenings. But at the Animal Rights Conference, I know a few people who did choose to go see the film and then ultimately ended up leaving early. And... Anyone that left early was, and and maybe this is for everyone in general, I'm not sure, but definitely for those who left early, were handed a little leaflet. And uh, I've received photos of what this leaflet said, and I found it to be really interesting.
0: So Andy, when you you sent me this Facebook message and you were like, oh, read this thing, because it was being handed out to people that left Dominion early. In my mind, I was like, oh God, this is going to be... This is going to be like, how dare you leave early? Like, this is what you missed. But instead, this is this is what we got.
1: Yeah. So it has a picture of a, a young calf, which is, I guess, the image associated with Dominion. Now it says Dominion movement. Hashtag we will rise together. And then in bold, it says your mental health is important. Bearing witness to the suffering of animals can be powerful yet painful. Not only are we exposed to violence, but the empathy we feel for the victims can cause us to suffer vicariously. You may notice feelings of anger, despair, grief, or hopelessness. You may struggle to forget the images you've seen, have negative thoughts about people and the world, or struggle to sleep and concentrate. Please note that these are normal emotions and a valid response to experiencing something traumatic. It is important at times like this that you look after yourself so that these psychological experiences do not cause you ongoing distress or significantly intrude on your day-to-day life. Our willingness to acknowledge atrocity rather than look away can also be a catalyst that helps us to create important change. With adequate care, such an experience can be transformative. And so that is the front and then on the back, there's sort of some bullet points where it says, what can I do to cope? And they are attend to your body's needs, which is, you know, staying hydrated, feel well-fed, allow time for leisure, physical exercise, adequate sleep, etc. Uh, Get connected. And that says it can feel isolating when you have learned about something that many do not know or understand. Reach out to someone you trust, join your local or online animal adv- advocacy group, or dedicate time to social connection. Uh, There's one that's make a difference, which is essentially, hey, go out and you can make new vegans or you can put your mind towards some specific goal of activism. Uh, The next one is remind yourself. You may start to think negatively about people. Try to remind yourself that most people are not inherently cruel. Most people care about animals and are not aware of how systems and behaviors may impact them. And then finally, there's remain hopeful. While the suffering of animals may seem vast, global efforts to protect them are unremitting the animal rights movement is one of the most rapidly and passionately growing of our time paul yes andy uh you've you've read all of the words on these things uh, what, i've read all the words how do you feel about this
0: so like i like i said i thought it was going to be something completely different and i was honestly so happy to see this like I'm i'm sure we could nitpick like every single wording of it but this is obviously something that has been I think meticulously worded, like carefully chosen. I'm sure it was vetted a few times. Like I think that this was very carefully and intentionally created, and I appreciate very much that it's that it exists. I think it tackles it tackles a lot of the issues that someone might feel. It does it in a, in a vague enough yet I think specific enough way that it's going to let people connect to. What the the words that they're saying, and I think it's it's very validating of the people's emotions that they're that they're going to experience. I think it it could help people out, and I also think, and this is crucial, I think it does all this without saying like, oh, and and like, sorry you feel this way, you know, like sorry we made you do. It's not apologizing for it, and it's not it's not. I don't think it's not backing away from the ultimate message of saying like. And because of all these things, like, a great thing to do about these terrible things you're feeling is to to make a change about something. And so I think that it still pushes the, the main point of why someone would – the main point of the movie to go vegan as well. So, I, I mean, maybe, like, they could have included – I don't, was there, like, a website? I don't think there was a website. or right No, only
1: there. only a hashtag. And that, I think that was one of the main things that I was hoping they would direct people towards a specific resource. But,
0: like, honestly, Andy, that's the only thing that I can... That's, like, my only real critique of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm also glad that they're handing this out. I Part of me wonders, you know, I guess I... They recognize that, especially at something like the Animal Rights Conference, that the vast majority of people watching this are probably already vegan. And I don't know. I appreciate this. I like it. It almost feels like a token gesture to me in order to sort of counteract any criticism that they might receive about showing this to other vegans maybe that's the incredibly cynical side of me talking there. (laughs) I guess I just wish maybe that they offered people the option to not see it. Like obviously everyone chose to willingly go see this film, but I kind of wish that there was like a warning. Maybe there was, maybe there was like a warning beforehand that what you're about to see is incredibly traumatic and you know, don't feel (laughs) obligated to expose yourself to this film that we spent six years creating, we know, whatever. Um, But it, it almost like, the, the leaflet sort of posits that you have to see the film and I just wish that there was a climate that was like you don't have to see this film I I
0: get that I don't know I, I don't I don't foresee the movie or the like the creators of the movie ever being like hey you don't have to watch this thing like I don't like I, I, I agree with you that that we should as the vegan community create this climate but yeah. I don't know if that's the responsibility of the... Because it's like, I would say, Andy, that, that the filmmaker, you know, we always ask, who is this film for? I would say the film is for non-vegans. Like, they didn't yeah. make this movie for vegans, I would I would assume. Yeah. So because of that, I don't... And I still think that having like some sort of warning about the graphic footage that's going to be shown... I still think that's probably something that's necessary. And maybe they, like you said, maybe they do that, but I don't think it's their responsibility necessary, necessarily like every screening that they go to, to, to actively dissuade people from seeing the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fair enough point. I do think that in general, they made this film for non-vegans, but everything that, that we've been hearing about the climate around this film is that there is, even from from what I've heard, the filmmakers, that, that vegans should see this because they think, yes, it will make non-vegans go vegan, but they also think it will make vegans turn into activists that are working harder for the animals than they currently are. Mm, so I yeah. do think that they are have no interest in dissuading vegans from going because I think they think that it will push activism further along the line. Fair point,
0: fair point. Yeah, I, 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 I think I still stick by my point that it's like, it's the because you know at, at this point now that the movie's out in the U.S. it's it's gonna be it's not gonna be the creators going around hosting screenings it's gonna be like chapters of different organizations in different yeah. cities hosting them so I, I I feel like the responsibility falls on those groups to to create this atmosphere which i think is difficult to create this atmosphere that's both like get as many non-vegans as possible to or get as much of a attendance as possible to watch this movie but also you know providing the support and being okay with not everyone seeing it so i i feel like it is a it's tricky territory
1: yeah yeah, no, you're definitely you're definitely right about that, Paul. I, I've definitely seen from people like sort of reposting my post or, or expressing similar sentiments. V- you know, a vegan will post that, and then their friend will be like, "Hey, I'm organizing a screening of this, and you're going to hurt the attendance to my screening because of your post." And and I don't know. I, I just again, I just want to emphasize that you no one needs to see this it's not bad for the movement if vegans choose not to go see this film like as vegans if we think this is a tool in our toolbox then we can decide whether to promote it to non-vegans or not but don't feel like you have to expose yourself if you do want to see it it is now available online at watch.dominionmovement.com and you can rent it for 72 hours for 99 cents or you can just straight up own it, like streaming digitally for four ninety five. So people can see it and they can judge for themselves if they do choose to put themselves through that. And apparently also the, the filmmakers are making a bid for Netflix right now. And a lot of people are being encouraged to contact Netflix and say, hey, put Dominion on your thing. Apparently it's a process that could take two to three months. But uh, honestly, I don't know if it would have as big of an impact as like What the Health, which seems like everyone and their mom has seen it at this point. But this film getting on Netflix, I feel like could have a big impact.
0: I think it would have a big impact because I think that the footage would be so shocking that even if a relatively few amount of people watch it, It would cause enough stir to like get some of the news coverage that what the health got, which would then prompt more people to watch it. Like, I think even if just a few people watched it, it would drum up enough. I don't want to say controversy, but it would like quickly become a what-the-health type situation where it's like, this is now, even if you're not vegan, like this is the thing to watch, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and I think especially because they keep adding new celebrity narrators to this thing. Hopefully it doesn't become a, like a unity situation, Paul, with a hundred different narrators. But Oh my God. But, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara, I think, were the original two narrators and they've added Sia and Sadie Sink and Kat Von D. So, I mean, I think with, with those names attached to it as well, it could, if it got on Netflix, have the potential to be very wide-reaching so
0: wait i don't understand i don't understand what that means does that mean like like joaquin phoenix said something but now in the next iteration of the release it's just said by someone else
1: yeah i'm assuming it just means that people re-recorded lines
0: i'd be i'd be so pissed
1: (laughs) (laughs) because you Um, need the spotlight paul typical um, typical
0: imagine if in unity like (laughs) originally it was just like i don't know russell simmons or someone who said the entire movie and then he goes to watch the movie and he has like one line in it
1: that's what he gets for being an abuser yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah imagine if like the new people are like told just just figure out things to yell in the background or like slip in between and there's like flavor flames in there just like <laughs> doing little interjections yeah be great yeah okay so with all of that said paul it's time 45 minutes in it's time to get to the news (laughs) here we go here Here we we go. go here
0: we go here we go now
1: okay so we just got two two news stories but two really interesting ones okay so the first one Paul, is animals accorded same rights as humans in indian state and this was july 5th from the telegraph So I guess this is coming off the heels of the Luxembourg story that we recently talked about, about animals being afforded a lot more rights, but still feeling like it was kind of falling short. So let me read from this article. An Indian court has ruled that all animals should enjoy the same rights as human beings, saying, quote, they have distinct personas with corresponding rights, duties, and liabilities of a living person. In a landmark ruling, the Uttarakhand High Court on Wednesday accorded the status of legal person or entity to animals in the northern state the judges bestowed the status on quote the entire animal kingdom while ruling on a set of guidelines to prevent cruelty against animals. The judgment, which would need to be ratified by the national Supreme court is meant to act as a deterrent to poachers, companies that pollute the natural environment and those who abuse pets or wildlife. So you'll, you'll notice a certain class of animals have been left out Mm -hmm. of that. But the court said, quote, um, the entire animal kingdom, including avian and aquatic ones, are declared as legal entities. And this is kind of interesting. It The court basically declared all residents of the state as being guardians of animals. Like, you hmm. have to take care of these animals now. And... So I found out that under Indian law, there there are two types of legal persons, and so there's sentient human beings, and then there's what's known as juristic persons, and so that could be minors, uh, as in like young people, not those that go in mines, <laughs> uh, companies, trusts, wards of s the, of the court, or people with mental incapacities, and so this this is interesting because in some case that we talked about recently where. The, the court ruled against the non-human rights project in Stephen Wise, where the judge wrote the dissenting opinion, but essentially said, you know, it's clear to me that although chimpanzees are not the same as humans, they they deserve some status that's be- that's between object and sentient being. Yeah. And so this is almost getting at that. I'd imagine we must have some sort of, of uh, designation like this in the U.S. as well, but... So this is kind of putting, it's like elevating animals above mere property, but not in the same category as a sentient human being.
0: So it's putting animals in that second category?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so this whole thing is, it's basically aimed at protecting wildlife, especially endangered species. But there are, it does address animal agriculture a little bit. So let me read a little more from this article. So the the ruling banned the use of spikes or other sharp implements on farm animals and also said that if the temperatures exceed 37 degrees Celsius or drop below 5 degrees Celsius, Paul, whatever the hell that means, that <laughs> nobody is, quote, permitted to keep and harness any animal used for the purpose of drawing vehicles. Uh, it also called for high visibility markings on animal-drawn vehicles on public roads. And it was actually, this whole thing sprung from... An incident involving horse-drawn vehicles or animal-drawn vehicles and, and them needing more sort of protections and things like that. So I looked at a bunch of different articles about this, and the only thing that I found about anything to do with animal agriculture was these sort of welfare measures that were, you know, no use of sharp spikes and the temperature has to be all right and can't keep the animal just sitting there in the harness, whatever. So I feel like a lot of these headlines are kind of misleading because – this this one that we're reading from the Telegraph is animals accorded same rights as humans in Indian state, <laughs> which it's clearly not the case. And then, of course, a lot of the vegan outlets are picking it up and saying that same thing, like animals given same rights as humans, same status as humans, things like that. And that's not the case. And, it f- you know, again, this feels like it's a nice step forward, especially for the endangered animals and, and the animals that people don't eat. But it doesn't really it doesn't seem to be that meaningful for the animals that people eat. I don't, and I didn't see anything about animal testing or whatever, but maybe there are sort of implications of that, that just sort of naturally will flow. But I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I was definitely like real excited when you were reading the first few paragraphs. And then at towards the end, it's like, Oh, I see, I see what this is. It's, it's not the thing that I thought it was like, I think it's still good. And like a lot of these other, Similar legal measures that we've been seeing recently, I think it's showing a shift and I'm going to choose to see this as a positive thing because I think it is showing a shift in how animals are being viewed around the world through the eyes of the law and through laws and not just through like a small subset of the population population. Aka vegans. Instead, this is like this is stuff that is in the in the public. Like this is this is everybody. So I I don't know. I'm going to choose to see it as a good thing, even though it definitely is very welfarey. Do you think we're the only people that say welfarey?
1: I don't know, but I feel like remember when someone asked us for good ideas for Halloween costumes? The the welfarey. I think the welfarey would be a a choice costume. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i I agree that i feel like this is good i don't think this is bad at all but i i do think when we're presented with these headlines that animals are afforded the same rights and same status or whatever as humans but then it still relegates the vast majority of animals that are exploited which are for food to essentially property status just i guess slightly better treated property it it sends a weird message, even though that I appreciate that it means that it's going to be a much better situation for some other animals. It reminds me of the whole animal farm thing. That's essentially all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I hope this, I hope this is the foot in the door for, for better legal protections, but essentially until they outlaw the, the you know killing of animals for food when it's in an unnecessary situation, there's no way anyone could say that these animals are given the same rights as humans.
0: Yeah, I, I think you know it's like I get super excited when I see the headlines, but then I have to remember the reality that as long as there is the market for people eating food as long as people can not eating food i should be more specific as long as there's the market for eating animals for slaughtering and eating animals and as long as people can profit on that it it is going to be legal so it's like i can't get my hopes up too high and there's definitely more work to be done before we can see something like that but i'm going to choose to remain optimistic about this
1: okay all right fair enough so so that is that and let's well fair on. enough well fair well fair enough so let's <laughs> move on into this final news story Paul this is I feel like this is the thing everyone's talking about right now
0: it's the hot issue
1: it, it is the hottest of issues right now and that is this whole plastic straw issue that's going on. And so I guess what sort of preempts all of this is that a few years ago, there was that video, a very infamous video of a sea turtle getting a plastic straw removed from their nose with a pair Mm -hmm. of pliers. And it looked very horrifically painful for this animal. And I guess that has kind of sparked this movement for people to either, you know, for entities to ban plastic straws and also for individuals to not accept plastic straws. Mm-hmm. and sort of taking the assumption that straws are this horrible pollutant to the ocean. And so this movement has really taken off, especially recently. Starbucks just announced that they were going to stop giving people plastic straws. And I've seen a few, like, was it Seattle, I think, recently banned plastic straws, if I'm not mistaken there. Hmm. And so it's interesting. I mean, and it certainly got me aware of it a little bit more than usual. And I have been making the effort to... Deny plastic straws, although often a drink will come to me with a straw in it, and I'm like, ah, forgot to ask. (laughs) Same thing happens with cilantro; the cilantro just comes, and I'm like, ah, I failed myself horribly. Which
0: which also should be banned, according to Andy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you know how much of the ocean is polluted by cilantro? (laughs) (laughs) Because people eat it, and they go, oh, what? Why would anyone put this on a sandwich, and then they just throw it away in the ocean? Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. So found this really interesting article from bloomberg which said plastic straws aren't the problem so i wanted to talk about what is the actual problem and how it relates to our show although i guess all environmental pollution relates to our show because environmental pollution affects animals Mm -hmm. anyway so this article talks about the anti-straw movement that's happening and then talks about how some studies found that at the very most, straws account for, at the most, 0.03% of the plastic in the ocean. Yeesh. Yeah. So straws are kind of the, the, at the forefront of this, this movement to clean up the ocean, but it's a very, 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 very minor part of what's actually destroying the ocean. So let me read from this article. A recent survey by scientists affiliated with Ocean Cleanup, a group developing technologies to reduce ocean plastic, offers one answer. Using surface samples and aerial surveys, the group determined that at least 46% of the plastic in the garbage patch, which is this big, mass of plastic in the ocean, by weight comes from a single product. What could it be, Paul? What could it be? <laughs> it's fishing nets. Ugh yeah and and then, and so this this forty six percent number is getting thrown around a lot now by like animal advocacy groups. But the article then says, other fishing gear makes up a good chunk of the rest hmm. so so the vast majority of the plastic in the ocean is either fishing nets or other fishing gear. And I almost wish that they would – I haven't seen anyone say what the total percentage of those two aspects combined is, and I feel like that would be even more powerful. But for some reason, this 46% thing has really really taken a hold in the, the discourse around this whole thing. So let me just finish reading real quick. The impact of this junk goes well beyond pollution. Ghost gear, as it's sometimes called, goes on fishing long after it's been abandoned to the great detriment of marine habitats. In 2013, the Virginia Institute of Marine Science estimated that lost and abandoned crab pots take in 1.25 million blue crabs each year. Jeez. And doesn't that seems like the worst death for them to just be trapped in this thing that they probably can't get food in and they're just there until they starve and die, I guess. Yeah. Damn. So, yeah, so... Okay, so the obvious implications of this are i guess how i feel is yes of course we should not ignore the use of plastic straws i'm sure the 0.03 percent of the huge amount in the ocean still amounts to a crap ton of plastic straws and it would be better for the environment for those to not be in there but it feels like we're everyone's just sort of missing the point
0: (laughs) and it's like i think the thing that Kind of discourages me a little bit, or disheartens me. It doesn't skirt. Discour- ah, those are synonyms. Th- <laughs> is that it, it? It's not like in a lot of in some other situations, specifically related to the environment, where sometimes you see things that are like, oh, it's like people making these statements about what to do to help the environment that don't involve them. It's like we need to stop chopping down the rainforest and and blah blah blah. People will say these things that you know. It's easy to say because they're not the ones that are physically chopping down the rainforest. But then, when faced with, you know, and I'm guilty of this too in other issues. But like when faced with the like a more effective way and efficient way to have a positive impact, like oh well, actually, like you know, if you stop eating animals, this is gonna this is gonna help this situation. It's gonna help the environment tremendously. Now, instead, it's something that is a part of their everyday lives. And they're like, oh no, I could never do that. Like I won't do that. Even though it would make such a, such a more tremendous impact about this thing that they were just talking about that they cared about. But what disheartens me, Andy, is that with this, it is still something that people, yes, it's like a small change, but it's like, it's still a change that people are making to their daily lives. And I'm like, but just make the other, just, just make a different change to your daily life. And, and it's like, instead of, instead of, Saying like no, I won't have a plastic straw. You know, just say like no, I won't eat fish for this meal or something like that. Like I, I feel like it's almost didn't even. I don't know. I'm biased, but I feel like it's an easier change because, like like you were saying with the straws, oftentimes the straws are forced upon you, and then by the time you get the straw, you're like ah, it's too late. I got the straw. But I can't think of a situation where it wouldn't be easy to avoid eating fish like it's like you know y- how often do you find yourself in a situation where you're like oh shoot now all of a sudden i got this fish in front of me and i gotta <laughs> eat this
1: fish <laughs> that, that damn waiter just brought me a fish that i didn't even ask for
0: yeah you know so it's like obviously like maybe there's fish so- fish oil or fish sauce and something you don't know about but in terms of like a big impact you could have by just not eating fish like i i almost feel like that's easier than not using plastic straws.
1: That's an interesting point because I think we think of the straws for for many people, not for all people, and we'll get to that in a second, that plastic straws are this kind of frivolous thing and that it feels like that would be easier to give up. But you're right. It is something that's sort of forced upon us, whereas the fish is like a conscious choice that we're making when we're we're looking at the menu and deciding what we're going to eat. I I do think though that your analogy is a little bit off in regards to the like the rainforest because I think the rainforest being chopped down and the ocean being ruined, you know, are are both things that happen indirectly because people pay for, you know, animal products whether it's aquatic or or land, you know, but like the rainforest the the majority of it is being destroyed in some capacity for animal agriculture, whether for the direct grazing of the animals or for the growing of crops that are then fed to animals.
0: No, I totally agree with you. I was trying to think of, I was trying to think of something and I think it still holds a little bit because I think if you asked most people, if they were against chopping down the rainforest, most people would say, yes, I'm against chopping down the rainforest, but they would still be unwilling to do the thing that, that like contributes the most to chopping down the rainforest.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't remember what my original point
1: was. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on as if it all made sense. The other thing that I do want to mention about this article is that I think sadly it doesn't offer the option of just not eating marine animals anymore. It basically offers solutions like the mandatory tagging of these nets so that if they are found, people can know who abandoned them and there could be some fine imposed upon them or having better recycling programs, offering incentives for for people to bring back nets that, and and crab pots and whatnot that they have found abandoned. So it is kind of like a band aid on this whole problem more than it is a, a legitimate solution. And it feels like we could just stop supporting the fishing industry altogether. And then we wouldn't even have to worry about it because I think like even if a a net does get abandoned and it gets retrieved like a week later, I'm sure it's killed a ton of animals and done some other havoc on the environment.
0: And I, I can't imagine that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know how this stuff works, but if like, I can't imagine that if this issue of abandoned fishing gear and all the uh, like just whatever the fishing gear inside in the ocean if it's this monumental like i cannot imagine that they're going to be able to clean up all of that stuff like it's almost like the solutions are like oh we'll be able to like bring all these back and recycle them and and if the issue is this bad like i can't believe that telling the fishermen like oh now you have to do this extra thing I can't imagine they're all going to just do the do you know like the quote the right thing. Yeah. They're probably just going to do the thing that's that's easiest and that their their bosses tell them to do because it's the most cost efficient and whatever it's still going to be a shitty issue.
1: Yeah, and and I'm thinking well even if there is some law that you have to put a tag on your net so people know who's it who it belongs to you think they would just cut that tag off before they dump the net, you know?
0: <laughs> International waters, Andy, anything's
1: legal. <laughs> I guess so. Okay, so the last thing I do want to mention about this issue because I think on the on the surface a lot of a lot of people, myself included, would say, "Oh, a plastic straw ban also seems like a good idea. Like people should stop eating fish and we should ban plastic straws." And a- as I've learned, that is really not taking into account the people that truly need these plastic straws, like truly need these bendable plastic straws. And I think that we're doing a great disservice to not consider those needs of people. And I found a really great article over at Bitch Media from July 10th, which is titled The Ablest Fight Over Plastic Straws. So I just want to read a little bit from that to offer another perspective on this. Straws represent independence for some disabled people who can't drink on their own without one and who would otherwise need the help of a caregiver to drink. Others need a straw even when drinking with assistance because of hand tremors, limited muscle control, or other issues. Telling disabled people that they should rely on support or slop fluids all over themselves is infantilizing, but also dangerous. An aid isn't always available to help someone take a sip, and dehydration can be fatal. While alternatives to plastic, such as glass, metal, silicone, and paper exist, some express concerns about their practicality and usability. Metal may cut a person's mouth, for example, while paper isn't sturdy enough for someone with limited muscle control. Now, let me tell you, Paul, uh, at Amy's drive-thru in California, they use paper straws in their milkshakes, and those things suck. (laughs) (laughs) pun excuse the pun but they they certainly don't seem like they're they're sort of a you better drink this very quickly or else this straw is just gonna be totally useless and i should try and find it and post in the show notes if i can dig it up but i saw a really good chart that was sort of it listed every alternative that that people have offered up for these plastic straws and then it, it gave all the reasons why they don't necessarily work for everyone in every case and so I I just think that's really important to consider these things. You know I I don't think that that means that those of us who do not have a need for them should just be like oh well we have to have straws all the time. Like I, if we don't have the need for it, I think we should get in the habit of denying single use plastic utensils and, and straws at, at every turn. But. I think it's important for us to consider what the the implications are for those that do need these straws. And it feels like a a lot of the people that do are really sort of just swept under the rug in this instance and really demonized and, and, you know, to go back for contributing to a, I'm sure incredibly small percentage of the 0.03% of the straws that are currently in the ocean.
0: Yeah. I I think in my mind, what it amounts to is like what you were basically just saying, Andy, is that like, if, if, like us if we don't need the straws just don't take them and and then hopefully restaurants and establishments will kind of get the picture that it's like don't just give out straws to everyone but have them available for people that do need them so it's yeah. like if you need one just take one but if you don't need one don't take one and and then that way you know th- there's not necessarily this current this continuous like uh, replenishment of the straws, just because they're being given out with every single order. Yeah, of course, I feel like this gets into issues of capitalism, and it's like if if straws aren't constantly being replenished, they're probably not being bought by the company, and then the people that are making them aren't going to keep making them. So I feel like it it all comes down. To overthrowing capitalism,
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and 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 on that note, actually, so I I posted about this, and a listener of the show, Mandy Ruthless, commented that I just wanted to read um, her comment. In general, I think capitalism tends to transfer the weight of guilt back onto our shoulders at every chance. I try to do my part, but I get angry when giant corporations cause such harm and are held to no expectations while we're taking short showers and using reusable straws. Which is which is totally... Correct. I think that sort of it gets, there's all this individual responsibility. And I don't think that looking at it through this framework means that as individuals, we just go, well, well, it's all the corporations and my impact is very minimal. So I shouldn't do anything. You know, I think it goes back to the whole, there's no ethical consumption or capitalism thing, which to me is like, okay, I get that. But also, I'm still going to try my best under the system Mm -hmm. that we're in. And we ignore the fact that there are these companies that are probably contributing significantly more and actively lobbying for their ability to contribute so horribly to the environmental destruction. And then the, the energy gets focused on demonizing people that need plastic straws to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people should keep that in mind when you're having this discussion because uh, unfortunately I've seen a lot of really insensitive comments and people that, People will post an article about how those with some disabilities need plastic straws, and people will just jump in with, well, these are the alternatives, as if those alternatives aren't clearly listed in that article and then explained why they don't work. Like, Read the article, understand the issue, understand the perspective of someone other than yours about why they might need these straws. There you go. Yeah. And I feel like this is something we see kind of play out often. I remember there was a viral photo that went around that was of a peeled orange put into a plastic container at a Whole Foods. And everyone's like, but the orange comes in a perfect container. It's the peel. And I I was, I was like, yeah, that's so silly until it was pointed out that those with disabilities might not have the ability to peel this orange and it's good for them. And now, of course, I'm sure the majority of people buying that peeled orange don't require that. But I think that we need to make sure that we include those perspectives in this discourse because we're really leaving out um, a portion of the population that's already marginalized uh, if we don't consider those things. So keep that in mind when you're having these conversations. Thank you, Andy. All right, Paul. I think it's time for the main discussion, but you know what we got to do before we do that. Got to thank some peeps. We do. Man, our, our Patreon's really, uh, people are really signing up lately, and it's really heartening. Um, for some reason, we got a nice little push lately. And so we want to thank everyone that has joined us on the Beard Vegans Patreon train. So thank you to Danny Y. Michael M. And Mallory S. And all of those wonderful people have decided to pledge uh, at least a dollar or more to us every month. And in exchange for doing that, they get access to all our bonus episodes, including the Jurassic World analysis that we we just posted. And I feel like at this point, there's probably six or seven bonus apps and then two little half episodes, like the Food Talk episode. So it's a pretty good amount of content up there now. And people, if you don't want to... Gives a few bucks to us every month. You can also do a one-time PayPal donation. So thank you very much to Gabrielle I from Montreal, Canada
0: and Nick P in the UK.
1: Yeah, for doing those one-time donations. So, thank you all very much for helping to support the podcast. We are now less than 50 bucks away from hitting our second goal, which means we'll have two episodes transcribed per month. Woo. And yeah, I don't know it's definitely it's been like really helpful for us. We got we got some shirts on the way, Paul. Like things mm-hmm. things are happening. Things are happening. So, uh thank you to everyone uh, who has been helping out. And if you want to get in on that action, just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash Beardo. It's B-E-A-R-D-O. And that'll give you options for the one time or the recurring. And no matter what level you give, you will get a shout out on the podcast. So thanks again.
0: Thank you. All right, Andy. Let's do this. this?
1: I'm, I'm ready for this, Paul.
0: All right. So Background. So, as you may know, if you've listened to either one of those, that Patreon bonus food episode, or I think it was probably slightly discussed in last week's or two weeks ago's episode, I was recently in Denver, Colorado for the first time. And as part of my trip, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast so far. I visited, my friends and I, we visited the Wild Animal Sanctuary. And, you know, I've been to a handful of sanctuaries in my life, probably. T- two, <laughs> two or three, I've never been, to- but they were all farm sanctuaries. So I was very curious about this wild animal sanctuary, which, you know, advertises having animals like lions and bears and wolves and tigers. Oh my. And <laughs> thank you, Andy. I made sure not to say it in the specific order, but <laughs> slipped that in there anyways. And, and of course I had like slight hesitations because when you think about seeing those animals, lions and tigers and bears, the first thing that pops into your head is is a zoo and I was like, "Is this a zoo like I don't think it's called an animal sanctuary. I don't think it's a zoo. did a little bit of research before going to it, and what they've kind of done is they built this animal sanctuary that was originally not open to the public, and then I think it's it's it is thirty nine years old, I believe. It's it's the oldest it is the oldest and largest nonprofit sanctuary in the world.
1: Not as old and, as Vegetarian Summerfest. <laughs>
0: it's true. <laughs> Did they have lions and tigers walking around there as well?
1: Sadly no. Dang. <laughs> it's a but, lot of vegans.
0: <laughs> a lot of wild vegans. So uh, but relatively recently, they decided, and I, I believe that this approach was probably came from, from for, they did this for a couple reasons, but relatively recently, they decided to big this build this big bridge above the animal sanctuary that kind of stretches across the animal sanctuary that lets the public come in and kind of look down upon the animals not not condescendingly just (laughs) (laughs) just viewing them and and the reason that they did this is because they they wanted to have a way for the public to visit the sanctuary but not disturb the animals so it's not they specifically wanted to make it not zoo like so people aren't you know going up to the animals and and like banging on cages and stuff like that it's just kind of you're you're about i don't know 100 feet above 100 200 feet above all the animals as to not disturb them uh, as they go about their daily business and as i said i think there's probably two reasons for this i think they wanted to be able to educate the public or allow the public in to see these animals but then also this gives them a way to you know you have to pay a fee to go in and it gives them a way to raise some money for what i assume is a incredibly costly endeavor so that's what i went to that's what i that's what i knew going into this i went there you know i i did the i did the dang thing andy it was it was awesome. Like it was gr- it was cool to be able to see these animals in such in a non zoo setting. Like this is essentially, unless I came across a tiger in the wild, like I can't imagine I would have a chance. To, too many other opportunities to be this close to one. And essentially, each th- they kind of separated the animals in these very large pens. Like th- so, each animal had a, it's a, their own little enclosure. That was incredibly large, but it would be like, for instance, six tigers in this one area, maybe three bears in this one area, a couple lions in this one area so the animal the the species of animals were separated from each other, but there was usually like a cluster of animals within each penned off area, and then towards the end, there were some smaller areas where animals were kind of being rehabilitated and being integrated into the rest of the sanctuary so animals that were recently rescued they were kind of kept in these smaller areas with the eventual goal of being released with to the rest of their their buds in the same species in the larger areas so that was great i thought that i was like this is really cool like you get but you kind of get binoculars because again the purpose of the the original building of this place was not for the public. So some of the pens are super duper far away because this bridge doesn't uh, extend across every area of the, the sanctuary. So you get binoculars, you know, you could like see the animals in the distance and stuff like that. It was cool. The one thing, Andy, the, the one main (laughs) issue that I had, well, there's a few issues that I had, but the main issue that I had, can you guess what the main issue that I had was?
1: Not enough bears. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not actually false. Plenty of bears. There was this one there was this one massive pen, like this one massive enclosure that had like 20 bears. It was great. They were like sunning themselves. They were climbing through tubes. It was oh, it was amazing.
1: Sounds delightful. I'm gonna guess that they served animal flesh somewhere on the property.
0: And not only did they serve animal flesh, it was highly I I would I would say highly advertised that they served animal flesh. Was and it the
1: flesh of the animals from the park?
0: <laughs> it was not. Thank God it was not. <laughs> I mean, I, I I shouldn't say thank God because it's bad no matter which animals, but I feel like that would represent s- such an extreme disconnect to what they're trying to do, but Like when you drive into the into the park into the sanctuary, like right away there's these big signs that say like food and drink served here. They had their own in the welcome center. They had like a big cafe where they served like you know pizza, like pepperoni pizza and hamburgers and and steaks and all this stuff. And like I I feel like out of the pretty extensive menu that they had. The vegan options were probably French fries, and I think they had a falafel burger, but I didn't even ask if that was – like, that's probably vegan, but Uh nothing was advertised as vegan. I'll say that. Like, I did some searching around to to the websites and stuff like that, typing in, like, wild animal sanctuary, vegan, trying to see if they ever used that word, and I did not see the word ever used – I saw that they occasionally do like banquet, like fundraiser banquets, and and I couldn't find a menu for those. But I, I I imagine if they're that's the type of stuff that they serve at the at the sanctuary itself. I imagine that these banquets are also not super vegan friendly. But then in addition to this, Andy, so this is also something that that perturbed me a little bit. So. In the like at the at, like in addition to the food that they were making there, like the hamburgers and stuff, they also served you know just like potato chips and all those sorts of things, things that you know have palm oil in them. Which this is where I feel like there's definitely a disconnect because I'll say this: I will admit that palm oil is something that I sh- should be better about and need to be better about. But if someone's going to be on top of Palm oil, I feel like it should be a wild animal sanctuary that probably is housing animals whose in in their not in their native plate origins their environments are probably being destroyed for the manufacturing of palm oil. You know what I mean,
1: yeah, also that underscores our need to do a palm oil episode so we can figure out how we feel about it it <laughs> it
0: does, but so like that aspect of it was incredibly disappointing to me like throughout the throughout the when you're going on the walk there's like little plaques for people that donated or occasionally there'd be like a bench that would have like the names of of donors if you donate enough money and there was this one bench that that said being kind to animals is its own reward and i was like cool like i love that message but like it's it's being conflicted by them serving dead animals to you like at the beginning and at the end of, of your experience here. So I don't know, this just left me, it just left me feeling conflicted. Like I certainly had a a wonderful time seeing all these animals, but I don't know. I, I left being like, just, just with a lot of questions and overall I just left thinking like, is this a good thing? Like is supporting this a good thing? So before we get into some of these questions Andy I did a little poking around the website because I wanted to see I wanted to see kind of if they said anything about animal issues like how they talked about it. I was like they must be talking about animal issues vaguely if, the, if they are in fact a animal sanctuary and the only thing I could really find was a tab about the captive wildlife crisis and so I should give the background info that a lot of I would say I believe the majority of the animals that they that they home there are animals that were privately owned. So like people I think they said most of them were animals that were privately owned in Texas. So it would be people that like had a a, like a bear cub and either had some like roadside thing going on, like a roadside zoo or, or just even like privately like rented out these animals so most of the animals were actually like privately owned before they were at this wildlife animal sanctuary but then some were at you know zoos some were rescued from like poachers and stuff like that so the website had this one tab called the captive wildlife crisis and just reading a little bit from that it talked about those sorts of issues like this is where these animals are coming from and then it says every area of captive wildlife management shares one important factor. Their existence largely depends on social need and public opinion. Therefore, the most effective way to attain positive captive wildlife management is through an educated public and the subsequent social pressure they will apply. In order for captive wildlife to benefit from human interest and concern, their benefactors must first be empowered to help. Education is knowledge and knowledge saves lives. And in this case the lives at stake are those of animals in captivity. A system that will educate people is their only hope. So it was it was essentially saying like if we make if we educate people about these issues people are more likely to do something about it. But this was really like the only the only area on the website I could find that was really going into the education and it doesn't really Provide concrete steps for people to take. And that's another issue that I had with while I was actually walking through it. Like while I was, they make you watch this like educational video in the beginning about like the rules and what to expect and stuff like that is that it, it doesn't really give, it doesn't really tell you Anything that you could do, it's kind of just saying, like, these are all these animals that came from these terrible situations, but now they're in a much better situation now. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but it doesn't really say, like, what – it definitely instills in you, like, oh, all these poor animals, they were in this bad situation. Like, I'm so happy they were, they're were they in this situation now. And I'm wondering if it gives people, like, a false sense of, yeah, I'm doing something about this issue like just by attending just by paying for the admittance fee to go to this place i'm wondering if it's giving people a false sense that they are doing something about it because other th- because it doesn't really educate people about how to stop this and and i don't even know if like privately owned animals is an issue that's even big enough that lends like it needs some a, a group of people to be like we are putting this force together to stop this you know what i mean yeah so i don't know and then the last thing i'll say is on the on the another tab that was like ways to help it said there are so many ways to help the animals and some of the things listed below might just be the perfect fit for you from donations to adoptions and pledges to gift shop purchases and (laughs) in-kind donations and
1: volunteering to (laughs) plan so many ways to give money paul (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> to printer cartridge recycling to attending or sponsoring fundraising events and much more so yes it was it was essentially everything was like here's ways that you could donate money yeah. the, the printer i mean the printer cartridge recycling is literally i think the only one of, and volunteering to work at the place but
1: which saves them money
0: which <laughs> which saves them money like it was all kind of ways to help the sanctuary not ways to help the issue you know? Yeah. So I guess, and uh, the last, last thing I'll say is uh, in my research, I found a, a couple articles from PETA giving this place props for, for rescuing animal. And then a couple articles from one green planet that were like animal rescues. You need to follow on Instagram or like sanctuaries you need to visit. And it would, they were on those lists. So it's, it's like getting bumped by some of the vegan or the animal rights organizations. And, I don't know. I I I was left unsure of how to feel because, like I said, it, it's it's definitely this huge endeavor of a of a project that they're undertaking. But it's almost like, is it self-serving? Is is this helping animals at large? Obviously, it's helping these animals, but is it helping animals at large? I don't know. Doesn't I, I just
1: sound like it.
0: I yeah, but. But then I'm like, like if this place wasn't here, what would happen to those specific animals? You know, yeah, it's it's few animals, but it's I, I would still I still feel like I would want them to be helped in some way or another. And just to give you an exact number, I found another article that said in the in the 38 year history, they've rescued over 1,000 animals.
1: I'm sure so the utilitarians would not be super pleased with that.
0: <laughs> but doesn't something feel like like I feel wrong saying this should not exist?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if it shouldn't exist, but I don't know if it's a place that I would support, I guess.
0: But so if 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 vegans don't support it, then it's just Does this fall into the category of like this is the animal thing that non-vegans should do? I just don't know if like I don't know. I, I feel like that's not a that's not a good enough answer because this feels like something that should that that I should back, but I don't back it.
1: You know, Paul, I, I almost wish that we did. We were thinking about talking about this in the Jurassic World episode, and now I almost wish that we did because it it relates to a theme that you were talking about in terms of Jurassic World's animal rights theme. So a little preview for that bonus app if you haven't listened, but you were kind of saying you thought that if there was animal rights themes in Jurassic World that they were – lowest common denominator, like the lowest possible bar for something to be considered animal rights. That's what this kind of feels like because the animals that are being seen at this sanctuary typically aren't ones that are being consumed by humans on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. And So it feels like, well, yeah, of course, just like everyone says, of course, we shouldn't destroy the rainforest or the oceans. And people are saying, well, yeah, of course, we shouldn't make tigers go extinct. And of course, we should rescue, you know, lions, whatever it might be that that are animals that we hold in high regard. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that these animals have been rescued, but I don't really know how much of an advocacy purpose this sanctuary is serving based off of what you're telling me.
0: So like what do you think if the average what's the average person's name? Jeff. If the average Jeff, if the average non-vegan Jeff goes to this, like what do you feel like how would they feel about animals when they when they left?
1: I mean, I know that you sort of that in their their website, right? They say this is not a zoo. Yeah but it feels like it's just sort of a step away from a zoo in that regard. Like I appreciate that they really remove the humans and there's not people like banging on glass or whatever. (laughs) Right. But it feels like it's just going to maintain that, that disconnect that some animals are more equal than others. You know, that, that we can go and observe these animals in captivity and then go eat a burger and that there's nothing conflicting or hypocritical about that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm glad. I I almost wish this wasn't something that the general public could go and see. Like, I'm glad these animals have been removed from whatever horrible situation they came from. But it's just reinstating the idea that animals are fine for us to use and that there are certain animals, you know, we get dogs and cats in our homes, maybe a parrot, and then we get lions and tigers and bears, oh my, in a zoo, right? <laughs> and then there's the pigs, chickens, turkeys, cows, and fish that we eat and that there's no rational reason why we should consider them to all have the same rights. Like clearly they are on different categories and this seems like this sanctuary is just very clearly maintaining those distinctions, those arbitrary distinctions. You
0: know, I don't think I thought about like that because in my head and I was ready to, I was ready to rebut you, Andy, I was going (laughs) to say like, I was going to say, I, I very much felt like this was different than a zoo when I went and maybe this is just me like justifying me going and paying them the $30 that it costs to go in there and being like that money didn't go towards something t- terrible, but
1: you just bought some hamburgers, Paul. Yeah,
0: but I think they do a pretty good job of saying like, this is not a zoo and these are the reasons why this experience will be different than a zoo. But something that you just said has maybe changed my mind about this and that's, like it is still in people's minds, even though they're seeing these animals in a non-zoo and not exactly in a zoo scenario, I, I, I have to admit that probably a lot of people are going because these are, quote, zoo animals. And they're like, I want to see these animals, but I don't want to feel bad about seeing these animals. So in a way, it's like, even though, a lot of the messaging on the website and in person is, is saying these animals are not entertainment. I think for, I would have to admit that for a lot of people that go, it probably is entertainment. Like it's for it's entertainment like purposes.
1: Yeah. I think unless people are really being beat over the head with a specific ethical message, they're just looking at it as a different type of zoo or like a zoo that they can feel okay about visiting if they have an issue with a zoo.
0: So I will say this because because again keep in mind that this was not open to the public until recently so it, it wasn't I don't intentions aren't everything and maybe intentions don't count for anything but it it certainly at first was not intended to be open to the public but I did see something that just like a m- couple months ago in March they were fundraising to purchase so right now it's it's in Kingsburg, Colorado and it's 789 acres, but they are fundraising to purchase this huge plot of land in southern Colorado that's 9 over 9,000 acres. And damn. Damn. And from like a couple little videos I saw of that and and I was trying to figure out like is this place going to be open to the public? They said that they it was only going to be open to like the the you know like the premium donors and one
1: percent the one percent are they breeding dinosaurs there paul (laughs) and
0: it was only going to be open and and even they were only going to be allowed for like special events so it's not going to be like this one and i guess that's better in that regard but on the other hand like they're trying to raise it's going to cost five million dollars to buy the land mm-hmm. um and then like you know put in all the. I, I no, you know i think it might just be five million to buy the land but then they also have to like build it up and and you know put fences and stuff yeah so that so that the animals don't just so that jurassic world <laughs> the animals don't just leave spoiler alert and <laughs> fly around the <laughs> colorado but
1: they really um, should have gotten those pterodactyls
0: <laughs> so i like i guess that's better it's better in that regard because it, it if it eliminates the zoo like quality of it and is just focusing on like the saving animals the rescuing animals quality of it that's good i'm still hesitant because i'm like five million dollars that's, that's a lot of it's like not a small amount of money let alone that's just to purchase the land but then to like upkeep it and stuff it's going to be tremendously expensive but then when, like when I say that out loud, now I'm just like, am I being an asshole? Because am I condemning all these animals that could have been saved to not being saved?
1: Yeah, I mean, and think about how many movies we go see that took $30 million plus to make that we don't say that money should have gone to something else or whatever.
0: That's true. And I like I totally agree with that. But at the same time, I'm sure that the this sanctuary is more likely to be getting money from people who are even slightly more inclined to be donating to animal related issues rather than the next deadpool movie
1: yeah fair enough fair enough
0: which which uh, maybe this is like what you were talking about before where you're saying like <laughs> are we putting the blames on ourselves rather than the corporations and you know the little amount of money that many of us are able to donate like yes, it can make an impact, but I feel like we aren't going to as individuals, we aren't going to be the only thing that that changes this. So, I don't know. I, I don't know, Andy. I'm very con- I'm still very conflicted about it.
1: Yeah, I think that for me, it, if I was visiting Denver in 2 weeks like I actually am, uh, <laughs> it's not a place that I would go out of my way to see, I think given given everything that you've said. I visited Big Cat Rescue in Florida once, and they're they're a group that has a big presence at like the, the Taking Action for Animals conference. I've never seen them, I don't think, at the Animal Rights Conference or any other event. But after going there, I just kind of felt like it wasn't my jam. It wasn't the thing that, you know, they, they, they talk a big game, but it wasn't the experience that I thought it was going to be, and, and it wasn't the messaging that I was hoping it would be. So... I think that uh, I would be more discerning about visiting these things. Now, now having like been to one or two and sort of realizing that I shouldn't just kind of walk in and go, Oh, it seems like they're doing a good thing. It's a rescue that I think there would probably be more things that I am looking for in order for a sanctuary of any kind to be one that gets my support.
0: Yeah. I I think when I went for some reason, I expected it because the only other ones I've been to were farm sanctuaries. I expect it to be more like that. Which is like... But again, maybe the only reason that it's not like that is because the animals that I'm seeing here are the classic, quote, zoo animals. Yeah. And maybe that's the... Maybe it's like that's... Well, that's not the only difference because the farm sanctuaries typically do have some sort of vegan message to to some degree. Yeah, usually. So I don't know. I, I... I... But, but Andy, does this mean if I ever wanted to see a bear or a lion or a tiger, there would be no way to see one in person?
1: I think that that might just have to be a sacrifice that we're willing to make to make a more ethical world.
0: I guess it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make, but certainly a bummer.
1: You know, there's a lot of movies with, (laughs) and like National Geographic footage with these animals. I know it's not the same thing but i think we need to respect these animals space and autonomy and sacrifice our visual pleasure for 20 minutes while we watch them for their entire life in captivity
0: yeah i'm i'll also say i'm not i'm still i'm even after this discussion i'm still not opposed to this place existing because i think like i don't think that what they're doing with the animals is wrong necessarily. Like, I think some people could look at it and be like, oh, well they're still in these fenced off areas, but I would say that the majority of these animals cannot be reintegrated back into their natural habitat. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't necessarily think that what they're, what in the, I don't necessarily think that that aspect of it is wrong, but I don't know. I think the more this discussion goes on, the more zooy I feel like it is.
1: Zooey Deschanel. Zooey
0: Deschanel. <laughs> even though, even though I, I, I honestly don't think that that's their intention. And like, I am, I do still plan on, um, like, sending them an email or something and being like, "Hey, something about the vegan food."
1: Hey, here's my podcast where we talk shit on you for half an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love Paul, but like, I, I do want to send them something about the food because. I don't know. I I feel like they might be more open to that. And and I will say, if they only had vegan food there, I think I would be much more likely to be on board with this. I might be even 100% on board because even if they're not necessarily promoting veganism, just by like if people see like, hey, we only have vegan food here, I still think that's sending some sort of message that's like, oh like oh there's a connection between these animals that I'm looking at out here and the fact that they only serve vegan food. I think most people would make that connection even without it being pointed out to them.
1: Yeah. So, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it would certainly be a huge improvement. I think honestly my biggest issue is that is the the open to the public thing. That if it was just a group rescuing animals and and having them there in their care that Even if it's not, like, the best situation, it seems like it's better that it exists than not. But when you bring the public in, not even, like, the zoo-esque aspect of it, but the fact that I think that it does, with the serving of the food, reinforce the fact that some animals are for us to look at and some of them are for us to eat. uh, I think that that is harmful overall to animals.
0: But, like, couldn't couldn't I make the argument... Like, well, what if it was only open to vegans? Because we already like it's not harmful to the animals at all because we're so elevated above them; they're not going to be bothered. And as vegans, we already know, we already know what's what. So, like, when would that be okay?
1: Sure, <laughs> why not?
0: I don't, I don't know. I just feel like it's like a.
1: But like, obviously, they're not going to implement that policy if they're not serving vegan food.
0: No, I, I know that they're not, but I'm just saying. I do think that there's. I don't believe that that's a realistic thing to happen, but I do think that there is some in between. Between, I, I do think that there's something between what it is now and having it still exist but not open to the public.
1: Yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm open to some options.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to write a twenty-page dissertation about it, Andy. I'll have it on your desk by Friday morning.
1: Make it Thursday night. <laughs>
0: i guess the last thing that i'll mention is i think it's something i think is worth mentioning and we talked about this ages ago on the podcast but brother wolf animal rescue actually which you know we mentioned this change.org petition but more recently we mentioned brother wolf because they were the ones that implemented that uh, vegan week in seattle north carolina asheville asheville
1: (laughs) big jump from seattle to north carolina
0: (laughs) yeah they implemented that that vegan week throughout uh asheville they were the ones behind behind that so this is obviously a place that is not only doing animal rescue work but also they are walking the walk they are not just talking the talk they do a lot of animal rights stuff but We'll include this link because it's still, it's still active, this change.org petition that was put out by Brother Wolf Animal Rescue to try and basically to get other animal organizations like other animal sanctuaries or – what's the word I'm looking for? With dogs and cats. Shelters. Shelters, thank you. And other animal shelters to basically adopt a vegan ethic. And I think that if, like, I'm going to send, I, like I said, I'm going to send something to this wild animal sanctuary. But they must also be on Brother Wolf's radar if they are the biggest animal and oldest animal wild animal sanctuary. Yeah. So yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I'll let them know. I'll I'll slip them a note underneath their door that says "hot tip," wild, <laughs> wild <laughs> kill, animal sanctuary. <laughs> In, in need of complete <laughs> vegan re- o- overhaul.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for people who want to sign that petition.
0: Yeah. All right, Andy, I think that's all I got to say about this, but you know, if, if any of you out there have either been there or if you got your opinions about this, we want to hear them. Send us an email to the vegans at gmail.com. You can comment on our Instagram or our Facebook, just the bearded vegans. We love hearing from you.
1: We sure do really, really lights up our lives when we get emails from people.
0: <laughs> so Andy, do you have anything coming up?
1: Yeah, this coming weekend, July 21st, I'll be at Compassion Fest in Hamden, Connecticut. And then July 28th and 29th, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be at the Colorado Veg Fest in Broomfield, Colorado, right outside of Denver. Uh, the 29th is the day I'll be speaking at 2.20 p.m. July 29th, Paul, you're going to be at the Jimmy Jam at Skylands Animal Sanctuary in Wantage, New York, New New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey. Jersey. (laughs) People figure it out. August fourth, I'll be at Pittsburgh Veg Fest, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. August fifth, I'll be at the WNY Veg Fest in Buffalo, New York. So, uh, all those events, come find me or Paul behind the Compassion Company table. Just look for the unicorn shirts and the bright green tablecloth. Say what's up, beardo. We'll hook you up with a button and or sticker. And hope to see hope to see some beardos there. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, you know, uh, we hadn't talked about this this sanctuary beforehand, but I did see photos that you had posted of yourself and and some of the bears and whatnot you videos of you doing your your wonderful funny walk (laughs) and there was one photo where i noticed there was a bench in the background and you've mentioned that there was engravings on them and like dedications and stuff and i zoomed in and i enhanced and i enhanced again (laughs) and i enhanced this this desk this bench (laughs) this bench was so far in the background and i kept enhancing till i could read the engraving and it said it was dedicated to the following seven words we are
0: the bearded vegans signing off (laughs)
1: You didn't show even more. Though- and also an extra special thought out, thout <laughs> out. out. <laughs> it's happening early <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me of the whole Animal Farm, the George, uh, or George Orwell, George Orwell, George well <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unless I came across a tire, a tire, a tire. Unless I came across a tiger, I can say that word. Unless tired I came
1: ger. a girl
0: a tired girl